0: everyone, and welcome back to the Blue and Gold, a Superman and Booster Gold podcast. I'm Danny Nielsen, and this is episode two. So episode one was me just introducing the podcast, my ideas and thoughts about where the podcast will go in the future, the idea behind the podcast in terms of I'm going to talk anything and everything Superman each and every episode that I want. It could range from movies to comics to TV shows to the, we'll see today, the Flesher Superman shorts to anything Superman is on the table. And Booster Gold, this podcast works its way up starting from Booster Gold Volume 1, Issue 1, working our way up through Booster Gold's history. In this episode, we are going to be looking at the very first issue, Booster Gold, Volume 1, Issue 1. So it should be fun. Let's dive into talking about the Flesher Superman cartoons. Now, I had the idea for this podcast. It had been gestating for a while. As I mentioned, I listened to a lot of podcasts and lots of comics and movies podcasts, and and I know that there's podcasts out there dedicated to Superman, but I wanted to get my thoughts and ideas out there because I had mentioned before that I don't really have anybody in my actual life to talk to to bounce these ideas off of and talk about my thoughts in depth. Um I'm married, and my wife puts up with my nerdiness. You know, she's quite the geek nerd herself. She's a... She is a self-proclaimed huge Daredevil fan. And actually, we have a framed copy of Daredevil Issue 1 that we picked up from the Motor City Comic Con here in Michigan, which is, you'd think it would be Detroit being called the Motor City Comic Con, but it's actually held in Novi, Michigan at a, um, a showcase place. They, Well, they'll do car shows there as well, and so those types of things, and that's where the the Motor City Comic Con is. I think it was two or three years ago that we picked up a copy. It's not the best. It's not in the best shape. You know, it'd probably be graded a three or a four, but it's still, it's Daredevil number one. The cover looks great. We got it framed, museum quality, you know, UV protection. So that's pretty cool in our basement. Um, But she... She tolerates my Superman, and she's become a. She's learned much more about Superman than she probably thought she ever would, but she, I just can't bounce ideas and talk to her in depth about Superman in the way that I would like to. And so even though I know there's podcasts out there, there's great podcasts that cover Superman from. Superman. from all. Superman in the Bronze Age, the Golden Age. And there's even been podcasts in the past. I don't think there's any currently that are going on that just explore anything and everything Superman that they want to. And so that's what I'm doing. And so that brings me to talking about the Flesher Superman shorts. Now, I'm embarrassed to say, not quite, but a little bit, that it was only over this past Christmas break, so... Speaking of that, welcome to 2014, everyone. Hopefully everyone had a great 2013 holiday season, great New Year's, some fun, some debauchery going on. But, oh, and that also brings us to the end. We ended Superman 75th, the end of the Superman 75th birthday anniversary celebration. Celebration. Um, as, as, uh, Kevin James would say on King of Queens. Um, speaking of that, though, I, sorry, I'm getting all I'm going all over the place, but hey, it's my podcast, I can do what I want. So, this past, speaking of the Superman 75th, we were at Barnes & Noble this past weekend, so it was, um, January 12th, I believed, Sunday, we were at Barnes and Noble, and I came across looking at the graphic novel section. I, because I hadn't been in a bookstore in a while, actually hadn't. We were going to go to a comedy show, but we had about a half an hour to kill after dinner, so we went over to Barnes and Noble and browsing the graphic novel section. I saw this cool, this cool Superman book called Superman Seventy Fifth Celebration or something like that. I'm not sure of the exact name, but it was. Um, really cool hardcover that's got 20 or so single issues in this hardcover volume that are seminal issues from Superman's history. So we got Action Comics number one, there's Death of Superman in there, a personal favorite of mine. I know I'll have an episode talking about that at some point. Um, I think for the man who has everything, just some, uh... Action Comics two fifty two, the first appearance of Brainiac, just a just a really cool work, um, that I definitely want to pick up at some point. That's got, um, you know, it goes right from the Superman's beginnings all the way up till now. There is one new fifty two story in there, um, issue from the Superman's cape, uh, from Action Comics number zero. So uh the issue that came after issue 12. They had a, a zero week after issue 12. Um So that was really cool. So that was, even though I saw that in 2014, it's definitely still part of the 75th anniversary and I'm sure I'll be picking that up sometime this year. But moving on to looking at the Flesher Superman shorts, the As I started to mention earlier, I'm a little embarrassed because I hadn't watched all 17 shorts up until this Christmas break. Even though I had the 2006 box set DVD, the Ultimate Collection, or whatever it's called. I believe it's the Ultimate DVD Collection from 2006, the big, giant, 14-disc, beautiful box set. Plus, I have the 8-disc... Blu-ray set, and I still hadn't watched all seventeen. Now I've seen a bunch of them a number of times. The first one, the Mad Scientist or Superman, it goes by both names. I've seen that plenty of times, and as along with the second one, Mechanical Monsters, and I've seen Japatours quite a few times, and have always loved the shorts, but I hadn't actually watched. All 17. I feel like that's something that I really should have done before now, but I did. I I, so I knew that you know being about seven eight minutes long, it'd be about three hours. Sit down and watch these. It wasn't. It's not quite three hours for all of them. It's over. It's about two and a half, I believe. Um, and I did it over two um uh settings. I actually sittings. I actually one the first sitting I watched. Um, all of the, the flesher, the nine, I believe it's the nine flesher Superman shorts, um, on Christmas Eve, and then the next day, uh, actually not the next day, not on Christmas Day, the f- day after Christmas, so December 26th, I finished and watched the rest of the Superman um, Famous Studio Shorts. And for those of you who don't know, the they're typically just called the Flesher Superman Shorts, all 17 collectively, but halfway through the run, the studio Flesher Studios actually was bought and the Flesher brothers, Max and Dave, were ousted and... They changed the studio name to Famous Studios, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But I sat down, and it was such an enjoyable experience to sit down and finally watch all of these shorts. Because um, they're just so beautiful. They are such great pieces of animation, um, especially given their time. These, these shorts came out in uh 1942, but they began, they began production in 1941, which is pretty amazing because Superman was only three years old at that point, and so to be getting his own cartoon, and the awesome. This is back in the day when, which is long, long before my time, probably many of you out there listening's time, but they used to show the before a movie they would show newsreels and cartoons and this is where many of the warner brothers cartoons are shown so bugs bunny before movies and these superman shorts and it was it, it must have been such a a treat to be able to see these things on the big screen because they are absolutely gorgeous the animation has such a Noirish quality that every time you see an interview with um with paul dini or anybody who had or bruce tim or anybody who had to do with the the timbers especially the batman the animated series the first run they will tell you how much these shorts were an influence and they are you can definitely see it right down from the title cards that I are also awesome that have to, I gotta say every single cartoon has its own short and or has its own title card that lets you know the name of the short um, and they have and it's it's got some kind of a cool art deco style drawing or background that goes along with that title card and it's just so awesome every single one's a piece of art piece of work and the the shorts were some of the first to use rotoscoping which um is a process i actually learned about watching the heavy metal the 1980s animated movie the adult animated movie uh based on the magazine and it's the process where photo or real-life photography, either video or stills, is taken, and the and the animation is drawn over that. It's sort of a uh, tracing technique, but it gives fluid fluid movements that just look great. And the Superman shorts utilize lots and lots of rotoscoping and. It just gives them a, a look and feel that's unique and special for their time. And they definitely hold up. They stand the test of time, without a doubt. They they definitely stand the test of time, much more so than the 1960s Superman cartoon, um, the Filmation Superman cartoon, which I'll talk about. I'm sure I'll do an episode at some at some point about that, because I got that DVD that they released in 2006. I, th- I think it was 2006 when they released all the stuff around um the Superman returns time. But that that animated show is looks rough. And it is it's the difference between doing animation for T V and doing animation for to be on a theatrical movie screen and taking that time and having the budget to do these shorts so that just has them stand out and be lasting and have a lasting appeal where they don't feel dated at all. I mean I mean that's not exactly true. They the cars, I mean, the it definitely comes from a time period that is early time, that is 1940s. And that's just reflective of the artist drawing the world as it was then. But in terms of the techniques, in terms of the actual animation quality, it holds up today for sure. There's no doubt that it, it can hold up and be just gorgeous. So... Let's talk about a, or let's, like I'm talking to somebody else. No, this podcast is just me. Just Danny spouting his thoughts. Thoughts and ideas. So, but I'd like to talk about my introduction to these shorts, a little bit of my background in history. Um, so even though I hadn't seen all 17 until just recently, I actually had my first exposure to the Superman shorts back in nineteen eighty nine. So I would have been all of four years old at that point and I was at a friend's house, I remember in kindergarten and at a friend's house and he had three of these shorts on VHS. And I remember he put it he put it in and it had the mad scientist on it. It had mechanical monsters and it had Japateurs. And I just remember being enthralled because even at that age, I loved Superman um, from the tender age of as far back as I could remember. And so I, I just remember loving, because this was really the first piece of Superman animation that I had actually really been exposed to. Um, I have vague memories of watching the Ruby Spears 1988 cartoon, but Fleeting memories of that, because I was so little. Um, that was 88, so I mean, I was only three, and it only lasted for one season, 13 episodes, that, so I am lucky that I have any memories of seeing that at all, but I do. I do. But the, the watching these Flesher shorts, these three Flesher shorts, is actually my first memory, or first real concrete memory of, you know, watching it from beginning to end. And just loving everything about it, loving the music. I gotta say that the the musical score for these shorts is fantastic, and it's the music's done by shoot shoot. I cannot I'm not recalling the I don't know his first name. Last name is Timberg, and it's one of the. It's one of the, it, it's one of the best Superman themes. I'm a sucker and love almost all of the Superman themes. There's very few of them that I don't really like. Small Bills, Save Me, you know, I can take her, take it or leave it. I don't really care. But that doesn't really count as a theme, because it wasn't really written specifically for Superman in mind. It's not a Superman theme per se. It's a, it's the theme for that show, but it's, I, I, it's not really a Superman theme. But in terms of all the Superman themes, from John Williams to now Hans Zimmer, the Flesher Superman theme is definitely short. Obviously, it's runs alongside these seven to eight minute, seven to six to eight minute shorts, so you know that it's gonna, it's not gonna be the meatiest of themes. But it's rousing and and heroic and majestic. And I remember seeing that and hearing it when I saw these when I was in kindergarten, and then. I don't remember if we borrowed the VHS and double taped it, or if we got it from somewhere else. But, oh, speaking of that, those were the days, weren't it? When your parents would double tape something. My dad was huge into pirating. You know, it wasn't called pirating back then, really, but, you know, renting a movie and having two VCRs and double taping it so you have that copy. So we had. So many movies growing up that were copied, I remember, and it's funny the way when that happens because you get your your memories of movies get linked together because you either have to what one movie flows into the next movie and you you either you know I must have saw the end of the Jim Henson's Dark Crystal a hundred times. The credits for that movie, even though it was kind of dark for when I was little, so I didn't watch it that much, but right after The Dark Crystal was Transformers. So The Dark Crystal and the 1986 Transformers movie are forever linked in my mind because I can picture watching those credits for The Dark Crystal and then The Transformers coming on. And the same goes for other things. I mean, Wizard of Oz was right before Beetlejuice, and so it's funny how you don't really get that anymore. You know That's something that's kind of lost. Um, are those types of memories? Those are probably memories that many of us children of the 80s have. But we had... I, I remember sometime after... We, we must have borrowed the VHS from my friend or got it from somewhere. But we were had... I then had those shorts double-taped that I could watch whenever and... Funnily enough, here I am talking about I know which movies were before or after various things. I can't recall what was before or after the Superman shorts on the VHS. It might have been a couple episodes on Ninja Turtles, um, if I'm remembering correctly. But, yeah, we had... And for some reason... I remember watching Mechanical Monsters, m- most of all, more than any other um, out of those three. And it's funny because before, kind of like su- people were oblivious to, su- to the problems that plagued Superman 2's production. I had no idea till the 2006 box set um, that the Flusher Superman shorts were actually broken up into the Flusher shorts and the famous studio shorts. That there was actually two of them. You know, to, there was a, a rift there, and I always thought Jep tours was just one of the, one of the early, early shorts, and it wasn't. Jep tours was actually the tenth, ninth or tenth, um, ninth or tenth short. It was a famous studio short, so Flesher had did all of their shorts before the famous studios, and, but it's funny because in my mind, the shorts that are linked together are those three. The Mad Scientist or Superman. Um, it's credited on the internet as both. And that's one of the shorts that doesn't actually have a title card. Um, I think. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not incorrect about that. And so, um, that, that first, that first one, Mad Scientist, Mechanical Monsters, and, um, Japatours are linked as being the first three, and it was, it was, um, I was actually or Christmas break when I was watching these, I was thinking, where is Japatours? When am I, you know, each short kept rolling by, and I'm like, where is Japatours? And so I looked, and it's actually a famous studio short, which was surprising to me. So, I want to talk about the voices for a minute. So we have Bud Collier um, reprising his role of Superman Clark Kent from the radio serial, as well as Joan Alexander. And it was only while doing research for this show, looking up a couple things, making sure that I had everything that I wanted to talk about for this show, that I learned, I thought, the narrator for the shorts also came from the radio show. That Bud Collier, Joan Alexander, and the narrator came from the radio show, but it actually, the narrator, who, in my mind, is linked with the radio show, actually got his start here on these shorts. He wasn't, even though the radio show had been going first, before these, the narrator for for the Flesher shorts started with the Flesher shorts and then he moved over to the radio. So that was an uh, interesting factoid that I that I learned. Um, Jackson Beck, I believe, is the narrator's name. And he just has a voice that is just so linked with the radio show in my mind. But it's it's awesome to have these shorts where there's such a familiarity because if you're familiar with the radio serial... You get right into the voices here. You have Bud Collier, and everyone who is familiar with the radio show knows how well he was able to, to to distinguish his Clark Kent and his Superman and really make that a fun transition when he would transition from Superman to Clark Kent. His voice would lower, or from Clark Kent to Superman, his voice would lower an octave. And he's just one of the greats in terms of voice acting and s- such an awesome person to lend his voice to be the personification of superman for that time period um unfortunately he actually didn't do the voice on the later shorts i couldn't figure identify exactly with the last short bud collier did but you can tell when you're watching the shorts that i think i think it was towards the end of the Flesher shorts um Definitely the famous studio shorts where it's another individual's voice doing Clark Kent and Superman, and you can totally notice because it, the first the, he he makes no distinction between Clark Kent and Superman. So that's a that's a little disheartening. It's not. It's you know when you have when, when you go from the first few shorts with Bud Collier, then you go to this other other individual. It isn't jarring, it isn't like, whoa, what's going on here? But it just isn't quite as magical, isn't quite as, as, hey, this this is really a transformation. Um, And I don't think as Clark Kent, said, even though so he uses the same voice for Superman and Clark Kent, I don't think either one of them, or I don't think the voice was as good as either Bud Collier's as Clark Kent or Superman. Um, Bud Collier just is leagues ahead of the individual who did the second Superman voice, and unfortunately, I don't have that person's voice. Um, but the voice acting, at least in the when Bud Collier and Jonah Alexander is on the are doing the shores, the voice acting is so awesome. It's just you. It's, it's it's almost like you're watching an uh, episode of the Superman radio show. Done an animation for him because it's the same voices. And then I also discovered when I was doing this research that the Jackson Beck, the narrator, also was the voice of Perry White, which is a pretty cool little uh, fact too. I didn't notice it. I have to I'll have to go back and watch a few of them again to listen and hear the voice uh, to hear to hear um, the narrator and perry white's voice being the same so i'll talk a little bit about the transition from well actually before i talk about the transition to famous studios let's talk a little bit about the budget these shorts were particularly expensive um paramount pictures acquired the rights to do these shorts and they came to the flesher studios flesher studios had they make. They had been making other other shorts, uh, including Popeye, which the Popeye I've seen a, quite a few of the Popeye shorts, and those are fun too. And so they would do the Popeye shorts and Betty Boop, and they had done. They had just finished a feature length film, Gulliver Travels, and so Paramount came knocking on their door, asking if they were interested in doing Superman. And. They were, but they knew that their shorts would be expensive, so they didn't think Paramount would want to pay what they would want, and so they told Paramount that it was going to be a hundred thousand dollars per short. And when the going that and that was four times the amount that a typical short went for. So a Popeye short would be twenty five thousand dollars. Now Paramount negotiated down to fifty thousand, but that was still twice as much as as the cost of a popeye short so the they had asked the flusher studios asked for a hundred thousand and they got fifty so the mad scientist the first the first short cost fifty thousand dollars and then the other ones after that cost thirty thousand and all said and told all seventeen of the shorts cost five hundred and thirty thousand dollars Which is approximately 7.9 million today. So these these shorts weren't cheap. They and you can see it on the screen. You can see it. I mean, that's what I was saying earlier, where they hold up. They hold the test of time, and that's because the money and the time was spent to and the care was spent to put into these shorts and make them look as best as they could, and everything everything from the sound effects to the to the voice acting to the colors, the colors are so amazing. That everything the music is so good. The the coloring in the the, the skies, everything just has a level of detail that is just fantastic and it's so incredible that Superman got this kind of treatment, especially in those early days. Um, and so let's talk about the transition to Famous Studios. Um, it was hard to find any concrete information on this, but Famous Studio after doing, I believe it was Nine Shorts, um, the Flesher Studios, the, um, Paramount ousted the Flesher, um, Max and Dave Flesher, the, the two brothers who ran, who ran the company, and they changed the name to Famous Studios. So it was the same studio, different individuals running it, and they changed the name. So they changed it to Famous Studios. Now how that affected the Superman shorts is that there was a subtle change in the content. Well, not so subtle change in the content of the shorts. The... The Flesher shorts were much more sci-fi, mad scientist, mad scientist, um, mechanical monster, These fighting mechanical. Um, we got the um, the Arctic Beast, the dinosaur, and so these sci-fi and fantastic elements. And then the famous studios, they took a much more political and hard-nosed and war war approach, and. On one hand, this was, I wouldn't say good, but on, on one hand, I mean, it was interesting because you see how this real, how Superman, this super being, affects these real world issues that were going on in the world then. Um, unfortunately, now that those come across as very racist, especially in, towards Japanese Americans... um you have to put it in i have to put it in context in historical context for myself that after pearl harbor americans it's just it is what it is uh, you you can't justify it there were atrocities here in america done against japanese americans but the consensus was what it was and so these shorts are a product of their time and so that's where you get shorts like Tours and 11th hour um, the first couple, um, they're the, those are within the first few of the famous studio shorts, and the eleventh hour is interesting because it's a short where Superman and Lois, it doesn't, they don't explain why they're in, why they're um, overseas, but Superman is actually sabotaging Japanese war efforts, and it's just interesting to see superman interfering in such a direct way with political and um alignments political and national alignments um and they very much have the famous studio shorts very much have a american is good and american is right stance and i I can't say being an american that i Disagree with that, but it is just interesting seeing that. that. because. that. um. dichotomy between what we see now. they really do try to make Superman a citizen of the world, even though he is American. um. and he even says so in Man of Steel. <laughs> for those of, but, you know, you have the Superman 900 controversy where he denounces his citizenship. But they really do try to paint him as a citizen of the world these days and that he fights for everyone and he fights for the right and the jo- um but it's just interesting seeing Superman being a saboteur um and sabotaging Japanese war efforts and fighting fighting the Japanese so directly um and they Unfortunately, famous studios drew the Japanese as being not caricatures of Japanese individuals, but their exaggerated features, um, which one could claim is racist. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to go that far, but I will say that that the in, the accentuation to make them to the accentuation of the Japanese stereotypical look is definitely in, on the, in the forefront here for those shorts. Um, the other thing about the famous studio change, they're the change from Flesher to famous studios, is they, in a couple of instances, they went a little lighthearted, and they have this character, he only pops up twice, but he stands out like a sore thumb, is this Lewis character. And he shows up once as an unnamed copy boy or somebody in the Daily Planet, and then another time on the streets. And this character stands out because he is a cartoon character, cartoon in quotes, in this real world. Everybody's drawn realistically, and this character Lewis, who's in in these shorts for a beat, just for a quick comedic moment, comes some some levity. Um, just a, one, a couple of one-liners. He has a very cartoony and cartoony and just has that just has a cartoony look and physicality about him that just makes him stand out from this world. And you know, I it, it makes me wonder if they were trying to s- sell these shorts a little bit more to children. So they had this quick. Sh- you know, insert of this fun, this quote unquote funny guy, but he definitely stands out because he doesn't he doesn't really ex- feel like he should exist in this world. So that's a criticism that I have is this Lewis character. Um, and the oh the other thing that I wanted to talk about was the 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 short terror on the midway, which was the last Flesher short terror on the midway. Unfortunately, this was not the best way for Flashback Studios to go out, because I think this is one of the weakest shorts that there is out of the 17. is, is Terra in the Midway, there's Animals Get Loose at a Circus or a Carnival, and the, the the short would have you believe that they're causing chaos, and Superman has to wrangle them and, and put them back in their cages. But really, these animals aren't even doing anything. And it's kind of funny, funny and sad. If you're, you know, you feel bad for the animals because Superman is just grabbing them and throwing them in the cages, and they're not even really doing anything bad. They're not. So I don't know. I I I, I thought that that short was. Plus I don't know the animation wasn't quite as good in that short. I thought and the lighting was a little darker. And I think as even though I, on on the whole I'd say I like the Flesher shorts a little bit better than the Famous Studios, even though I really do like some of the Famous ones quite a bit. I mean, I like them all. I, I love them all. They're all great. But I would say if I had to pick between the two, the Flesher Shorts um went out. But Terror in the Midway, I think, is one of the clunkers in terms of the Flesher Shorts. Um, I don't know what the general consensus is. I tried to look online, but I didn't really see too much about these. Um... So that was that's an issue that I had was the the tear on the midway short which is just sort of a letdown after after all the great shorts that came before um the other thing was that it's interesting because like all of the early superman um Superman representations, either the serials or the movie, or serials or the radio show or the comics, everything had got. You know, everything has an origin that is that. It's always interesting where things got their start because not everything got started in the comics. It's actually in the first short where Superman, um, first flew in the first, Flesher short where Superman first flew, and it was because from what I've been able to gather from online and a couple of interviews, is that the animators just thought it would look better if he could fly. They could do, be, do better storytelling. It just would work better if he flew instead of jumping the eighth of a mile. And it does. It works great. In that first short, he's flying. He's he's hitting the laser beam, which doesn't really make sense. He's, he's physically punching it. And, of course, the laws of physics don't really apply here, but he's flying, and he's pushing buildings back, and... Um it just looks really great. So I think it was I think it was a great you know, it was a great choice to make to have Superman fly and he hasn't stopped flying since. You know, he you, you don't even you can't even think about Superman not flying, but it's you know, due to these shorts. And who knows, they might have had it happen organically in the comics if it didn't happen here first, but it did. So we gotta give credit where credit's due. Um and the other thing is that the famous line, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, that phrase also comes from these shorts. And so that's interesting where that got their start. Everybody and their mother knows that phrase. And it got its start right here with these shorts. And so that's pretty cool. And it was interesting how... They started to change it up. The famous studios. That line wasn't always the same. The famous studios quote would change it a little bit. For instance, they started using in the famous um, shorts, faster than a streak of lightning, more powerful than the pounding surf, and mightier than the roaring hurricane, which are which is pretty cool, and it could have caught on, but it, it just isn't. It just doesn't have that punch. That, well, I mean that's me not. You know, taking historical context into play, where I say that it just doesn't. Even though that's a great description of Superman, it doesn't have the 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 lasting appeal that the faster than a speeding bullet line has. But that's that's it's interesting to hear these um these other descriptors used. Um, and the other thing that was originated here was the which was the um. Superman standing during the introduction, standing and fading into Clark Kent, which they directly did on the Adventures of Superman TV show with George Reeves, they directly did that where they had him standing there as Superman, hands on his hips, fade into Clark Kent. And so that's really cool and I love how these elements actually carry on through the various Superman incarnations, though, where something that started in the cartoons really um, went all to the live action, and it really felt like a organic growth of this character who's the same, but growing through various mediums, and so that's really cool, and it's cool to go back and see where it's all got to, um where it's, where everything got its start. Um, another factoid that I thought was really interesting is that... While in the later shorts Metropolis is identified as Metropolis, early on it's not. Early on, it's Manhattan, which is interesting that, because at this time it was, um, Metropolis in the comic books. But in some of the early Flesher shorts, it's definitely Manhattan. I mean, you'll see a newspaper that comes on screen that's supposed to give you some information regarding the story, and I don't remember which short it was, but it specifically said Manhattan. So that was interesting that they but then in later shorts it was identified as Metropolis. So somewhere along the line they made the decision to change it up and align more with the comics, but it was interesting that it was Manhattan first. Um so that was another another thing that I I, I never noticed that until this until this viewing over Christmas break. Um and so I think that pretty much wraps up my discussion on the Flesher Superman shorts. Um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about, though, was the short, which I wish it was included on the on the box sets. But the fam- as I mentioned earlier, Famous Fleischer and later Famous Studios did the Popeye shorts. As well, you know the Popeye the Sailor Man, those those Popeye shorts. And after they had stopped producing the Superman shorts, they did a Popeye short called "She, She Sick Sailors." And you can find this on YouTube. I found is I I watched it on YouTube, and it's um very in, heavily influenced by the Superman shorts. So, Famous Studios made this Popeye short based on. Their Superman shorts in the storyline Olive Oil. If you're a Popeye, if you know anything about Popeye, that's Popeye's main squeeze is his girlfriend. Um, Olive Oil is enamored with Superman, so the short opens and you're seeing all these shots of Superman and her reading Superman comics, and you even hear the Flesher Superman theme. And throughout the course of the episode, it's funny, Bluto, the popeye's arch nemesis overhears that olive oil loves superman so he impersonates superman and she falls in love with him, thinking he's actually superman and throughout the episode or the short popeye and bluto try to bluto tries to convince popeye they can do these super feats and popeye tries to do the tries to mimic him and he fails and until it's until Bluto's outed as not actually being Superman. So it's it's pretty cool though because they use they directly use the the fanfare from the Flesh of Superman shorts. So that's a pretty cool connection. And on on the um the Blu-ray the two thousand six and the two thousand eight um Superman movie uh box sets, they included a Warner Brothers short where Bugs Bunny um, has a Superman suit, and then another one called Snafuperman, which is uh, another short, black and white, that has a character who uh, imitates Superman. But it would have been really awesome if they would have included the um, Popeye short, which was made by the same studio, and is much more of a direct reference to to superman than either either though of the the looney tune short or the snafu superman short so i think that wraps up my flesher conversation i'm surprised i actually talked about it for 45 minutes i mean i i know that i had a little bit of a introduction at the beginning but i'm surprised that i actually talked about the flesher shorts for that long i wasn't sure cuz as I think I mentioned last episode, this is just me talking to myself. And I do have experience doing another, doing another podcast with my wife about a completely different subject. Um, and so, you know, we have the rapport going back and forth, and this is just me. And so I'm trying to learn my way through, feel my way through sitting here and talking and engaging, making it engaging. So, I, But I wasn't sure how long it was going to go. The whole episode last time... Well, was only 30 minutes me introducing the podcast. so pretty happy that's actually went 45 minutes. I don't feel like I did too much rambling. I know I did <laughs> that's just in my nature to talk and go on some tangents, but hope, hopefully those of you listening enjoy and enjoy going going on the ride. So how about we shift over over to talking about booster gold? We're going to talk about Booster Gold, Volume 1, Issue 1. Before I actually dive into talking about the actual issue, let's talk a little bit about um, Booster Gold in general, because this was the introduction of Booster Gold into the DC Universe. Um, I got this information from Boosterific, the Booster Gold fan blog, which is an excellent resource for Booster Gold, but that um, issue number one was released on November 21st, 1985. It has a cover date of February 86, so it was released in 85, though. Um, so if you know anything about DC Comics at that time frame, you know that 85 DC Comics was balls deep into... Crisis on Infinite Earth. I'm not exactly sure what issue Crisis was up to by November, but I'm pretty sure Crisis was still going on in November of 85. So what's interesting is Booster Gold actually starts out pre-Crisis and very shortly within a couple of issues. He's in a post-Crisis world, but I'm not going to jump ahead and talk about that yet. But Booster Gold gets the credit of being the first new character introduced into the DC Universe it's post-Crisis, even though technically the Crisis was still going on, I believe. Although I didn't actually double check the dates for Crisis, although I know Crisis was a twelve-issue maxi series. So I'm pretty sure it started in January of 85, so it should still have been running in November. Um, And so this character, Booster Gold, was created by Dan Juergens. I talked last episode about how much I love Dan Juergens' art, and it's the Death of Superman was actually my first introduction to Booster Gold. The Justice League um 69 issue where doomsday fights the justice league and at the end booster gold gets the giant punch that sends him flying and superman catches him and booster exclaims doomsday is here um hopefully i'm getting that right i'm not actually looking at that issue but i know that storyline well enough that i think that's what booster says is Doomsday is here. I mean, it's it's Booster Gold who names Doomsday, which is pretty cool. But um some other little information that I got from the Boosterific blog is some information on Booster's origins. And so Booster Gold was created by Dan Jurgens, and at this time 85 Dan Jurgens was such a he was very young, very very new to the scene. He had been doing some work on Warlord. But it's incredible that he was able to make a pitch and get a new character, a new comic introduced to the DC universe. I do not think that would happen today. Such a young creator gets a brand new comic based on an entirely new character. Not a revamped character. Not a character being brought back to life a la brought back to life in the metaphorical sense as in gone away for a while and has come back, um, or he's not a legacy character such as Green Lantern, um, or or the Flash, but a completely new character. And so he, here he, here he is getting this new character, and he gets that issue number one, and that just would not happen today. It wouldn't, at least not at DC or Marvel. You know he he might be able to do it at Image, or somewhere that's really doing some. Solid creator owned work, but it's amazing that it, it happened at DC. Um, cause as I've, as I keep saying, that just wouldn't happen today. Um, so on the Boosterific, the Boosterific blog, I read how an interview with Dan Juergens, and part of the interview mentions how in an issue in 1988, an issue of Secret Origins 35, Mark Wade um, talks about how, I think it was the first time where it was mentioned where Booster Gold was originally going to be a janitor at the Superman Museum. Um, And that he wanted and thought he was better than Superman. Now that's interesting because I don't know as much about Pre-Crisis as I should, which is Partly what I'm going to try to do on this show because I'm taking a direct line from somebody who does some really cool podcast, Michael Bailey, who says that he's got his, his BA, his bachelor's in Superman, and he's working on his master's. Well, that's what I'm doing, trying to fill in those gaps of Superman knowledge. And so that's part of what this show is, is me talking about Superman aspects of Superman that I love, but also learning about aspects of Superman that I don't know. And so I don't know much about the Superman museum or even, I know that the flash has a flash museum, but I don't, I, I'm not sure from, but from what I'm reading about booster, it seems as though Superman had a Superman museum pre-crisis and booster gold, um, was going to be the, was a janitor who just, who wanted to be better than Superman. Um, John John Byrne's revamp of Superman sort of, um, Dan Jurgen says, that, that sort of necessitated a change for Booster and so it ended up being in the future and he comes back. Um, but it really is cool that even though it wasn't intentional in my mind that I started off doing Blue and Gold's Superman and Booster Gold podcast because the characters were linked, because in my mind... Yes, I got into Booster Gold or I got introduced to him through Superman, but they're just different characters because and they've overlapped a few times, but every when you have a shared universe, characters overlap and come into contact with each, with each other all the time. It's nothing unique. But it really is kind of cool that Booster Gold really does Superman played some part in Booster Gold's origin, um at least the some sort of idea sparked and you know he was part of the idea in dan jurgens's mind about where this character came from and how he got his 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 motivations um another thing that i learned from the Boosterific blog and and actually read a little bit more about this and other locations is how dan jurgens was really influenced by the 1984 olympics um where he learned about athletes who had endorsement deals who didn't even win any medals and they were getting financial um they were they were you know getting financially compensated and they hadn't they didn't even win any medals now I didn't see any actual specific names but just in general this concept this idea of athletes having endorsement deals um I think, sort of sparked and got that seed-planted Inception style into Dan Juergens' mind. And so that's where the idea for Booster Gold blossomed out of. Um... And so the other thing was that Dan Juergens, um, pitched this idea to Dick Giordano. Um, pitched the idea for Booster Gold. Um and Dick Giordano the and, and um the great Dick Gi- Giordano said that he saw something entirely different than anyone in the DC universe that Booster, Booster Gold was somebody entirely different to the DCU and would make a great addition um and actually at the back of the letters page but it's not the letters page yet because they don't have any actual letters but the the um, forthcoming letters page at the end of issue volume one, issue one, is written um, from Janice or Jana Janice. Is it Janice or uh, it is Janice? Janice Race, the editor for Booster Gold, she writes the introductions to the letters column, um, and she recounts some of the the story behind the booster gold being pitched and so that's an interesting that that's an interesting read and she also goes and she goes on to ask listeners to name the booster gold letters page and to write in letters and so i'll be i'm actually going to be talking about some of the letters because i really enjoy reading letters especially i love letters pages i wish it would print the letters pages in trade paperbacks and collections um Especially for older, especially for older comics, because they really help you to get contexts about what was going on. I mean, now you can do a lot of internet research, but the letters pages are where you can get some solid context in terms of what was going on in that comics landscape, or the you know the landscape that it was effect- was affecting whatever comic you're reading. What was going on that people's thoughts and reactions to, to comics and those get lost over time unless you have the actual individual issue. Um, they get lost in reprints and I think it would be something that would be very cool to have in collected editions. I know some collected editions of various things. My wife is actually into the powers. Powers, um, the, Brian Michael Bendis, um, series uh, from the Icon imprint, uh, part of Marvel. Um, Powers, I believe, actually does reprint the letters pages in, um, in the trade. I have to, I to verify that, but I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, but she, Janice, or J- um, Jenny, Well, it's not Janice. Nobody's named Janice, but Janice. Race recount some of the um, the origin behind Booster Gold as well, and so that's that's pretty cool. So I guess that's enough of the background on Booster. Let's dive right into issue number one. Here we are, an hour in. Wow, this is running. I don't know how long. each episode is going to definitely vary on the running length depending on how long I talk about whatever Superman um whatever the topic for superman is that particular week um cuz i imagine the booster segments will probably be pretty pretty um consistent in length i'm not sure how long this is going to go cuz i haven't finished it yet but whatever it is i have a feeling that in the future episodes will be fairly consistent because i'll just be talking about an issue just a single issue each and every week, each and every, well, the show is bi-weekly, so each and every episode I'll be talking about one booster goal issue, so it's easier to predict that it'll be more consistent. Superman, I could be talking about an entire series of cartoons like I did today, or I could be talking about one issue, or I could be talking about an entire arc. Um, and so each and every, the, the Superman um the Superman segment is definitely not going to be consistent. So, but here we are, an hour in, just getting to Booster Gold. So that's not bad, not bad. Because I, I really don't care how long this runs for. I'm enjoying it. And this is definitely a project of love. Because I don't know how many people are actually going to listen to a Superman Booster Gold podcast. I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of out there, you know. When I have two different characters combined like that into a single podcast. And to only have one host. Um, but we'll see. And frankly, it's a project of love. And I just want to read these stories and to to fill in the Superman gaps and to fill in my Booster Gold. Because as, as I mentioned, I don't have much in the way of, other than B- Volumes 1 and Volumes 2, all of the Justice League International. Anything that is Booster Gold really appeared in outside of Volume 1 and Volume 2... I don't have much knowledge on so any of the Justice League's stuff. I don't, you know, all the extreme justice, I, everything Booster Gold other than volumes one and volume two are are um, missing gaps for me in Booster knowledge. So it'll be fun to, you know, once I work my way up to those, um, delving into that hist- that part of Booster Gold's history. But so here so getting started on issue number 1 let me just say that this was an awesome first issue a great introduction to a brand new entirely new character um, on the title we have in big gold lettering booster gold as the title with a dollar sign as an exclamation er a dollar sign as the s in booster and so right there if you notice it because you could easily miss it, but if you notice it, you know, like, you get a glimpse into the personality of Booster right there, and money. And endorsements. I mean, you don't know what's endorsements, but just this money is involved somehow. Um, and you know it's because of Booster's, Booster's ego, and his, his, um, endorsement deals, and everything, and where money and advertising, and getting his brand out there, where that comes into play. But right there, right from the beginning, in the title, is that dollar sign. So that's pretty cool. So the cover, yeah, we got in big letters, or the big big yellow letters above the booster gold, is First Issue Excitement. And then we got a big splash in here saying, Comics' newest and most unusual supersized sensation. And since this was 1985... Even though it's cover date February of '86, as I mentioned, it actually came out in '85. And this issue has the DC Comics fiftieth celebration down where the um a lot of times where you'll see the barcode on newsstand editions down there. This has got um the fiftieth anniversary DC symbol, the 1935 through 1985 symbol. Um, so that's cool. And then on the cover we got Booster Gold fighting somebody in the middle of the street. He's swinging a... He, the villain is swinging a um light pole at Booster. And then we have a text box saying, Booster versus Blackguard in a fight to the finish. But whose finish is it? So right there we learn that this villain's name is Blackguard. We got... Booster and Skeets right there on the cover as well, you know, Boosters. If you're listening to this podcast, I sure as hell hope you know who Skeets is, but if you don't, he's in Booster's robotic sidekick, and he's right there on the cover too. So right from the beginning, we got Booster and Skeets, and you'll notice that Booster does not have a cape on on the cover. And I bring that up because he has a cape a few times throughout this issue and a few times throughout Volume 1 in general. And I think Dan Jurgens wasn't sure if the character was going to have a cape or was not going to have a cape, and so he tried it out both ways, where he'd have the character wear the cape sometimes and sometimes he wouldn't. And I'll just go out right now and say that Booster looks ridiculous at a cape. Um, and I think you know I think that they knew that right from the beginning because Booster's not wearing a cape in the fight scenes in this issue or he's not wearing a cape on the cover, but he still is wearing a cape in various scenes throughout the issue, so I think they were just trying it out. Um, And i got to say, right from the... you, You know, reading this, looking at this issue right now, it's sitting here right in front of me. Booster, not so much, but Blackguard is totally an 80s character. He screams 80s. I mean, and that's one thing that runs through this entire issue, is that... Um, even though I love it, it's totally dated because it's 80s, 80s, the 80s are running rampant throughout the, this issue. Um, all the way from Blackguard's ponytail, purplish ponytail that's on the cover. Um, it's part of his helmet, so I I don't think we're supposed to imply that it's his actual hair, but it comes off as a 80s ponytail right down to, there's a gym scene at the beginning. Um, and, you know, we got the men, the, the men in cut off midriff, sh- um, shirts, which you would not see today. That is a fashion that you definitely would not see. Um, and women in their, with their head, um, head, their headband, their workout squat bands. And, um, those were. Those were big, you know. When you think of the '80s, you know, you think of the lycra and um, the workout leotards and and sweatbands, and um, it's just funny. And that's just on display all over this issue. Um. So, what what one thing that is interesting is that um, oh. By the way, I picked up this issue. Also, I mentioned in the Motor City Comic Con earlier, um, which is where me and my wife picked up Daredevil issue number one, and we got... I also This is where I got um, this issue of Booster and a bunch of other... And pretty much most of my volume one run I got at the Motor City Comic Con. I can't remember which year. I think it was the same year we got the Daredevil volume one. So I think it might have been 2009. Um... So pick that up from the Warner City Comic Con. All of these booster issues you can pick up from um, comic conventions for in the quarter bins. If you pay more than a quarter for a booster gold, you know maybe maybe fifty cents, maybe fifty cents. But you can find them in the quarter bins. So if you pay more than a quarter to a fifty cents for a booster gold issue, you totally overpaid. And I'm still missing. I'm still need to complete a little bit of the run. A couple of issues from. From um, Volume One and Volume Two that I need to to fill in, and my local comic shop has them, but they charge cover price, and I'm struggling to um pay because I I know if I waited until May when the Comic Con is here, that I'm pretty positive I'd be able to find them. So I, but I am going to the comic shop in a, in a few days, so. It's going to be tough for me not to pick those up, because I know now I've started the show, it's given me motivation to finally fill in a couple of issues on the run. Um, So let's continue on with what's going on in the first issue, though. It's interesting how it picks up. It opens. It doesn't open on Booster. It doesn't even open on any of the main characters. It opens on Blazed Comics and this struggling artist slash writer and he sees booster gold on the cover of the daily planet and he gets an idea for a comic so it's just interesting to a brand new character you don't even start with that character or even any of that character's supporting cast you don't have we're introduced to dirk a little bit later and i'll talk about dirk and we're introduced to trixie later and i'll talk about trixie um it's just an interesting way to start this comic um So right away you open you you right away you learn it's Metropolis. So Booster's home base is the same as Superman's, and Dan Jergen's art. That's another thing I gotta praise is, and I'll praise it. I'm sure I'll praise it every single episode because I love Dan Jergen's art, and I love it from this time period, the 80s to the 90s. Dan Jergen's art is when it's the best. I think. I mean, I I think the absolute best is when he's being inked by Brett Breeding on a Superman run. But it looks good here. So the issue opens with Blaze Comics, which had, if you go online, you can find the Blaze Comics cameo um, in Man of Steel. You could see a logo for Blaze Comics during the Metropolis fight scene at the end of uh, Man of Steel. So on, a sec- on the second page is where we're introduced to Booster Gold, who's working out at the gym, and right away we get introduced to his personality. That he's looking for endorsements. He's in good shape. So much is conveyed on just these first couple of pa- on these first couple of pages. Um, that he's 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 a big enough star star in quotes where he's negotiating movie deal rights and that he's concerned about money he wants to get he he thinks he's worth more than the individual trying to negotiate his movie deal thinks he's worth so he wants to get paid more and so his narcissism is right there his his big-headedness his and also his He's an individual who's in shape too, because he's working out while he's having this conversation. So we learn, we learn so much um, on that, on that, on these first couple of pages, and ex. And then on right on page three, we get the first reveal, the first inside the issue reveal of the of the costume. And I think right away, the costume, this costume looks good, minus that stupid frickin' cape. He's got this yellow cape, and it's got a giant button at the, t- at the top. It just does not, It just, Booster Gold is one of my favorite costumes of all time, and this cape brings it down. It brings it way down. So, it's, Dan does a great job of getting us introduced right away to Booster Gold, who we're dealing with, the, the pig-headedness, the big-headedness, of of this character and um before i go any further i actually want to say how much i would love for the series to be collected in an omnibus volume one it's only 25 shoot now i'm blanking It's 25 or 26 issues it's i believe it's 25 issues we come on can we come on dc can we get an omnibus of booster gold volume one because a showcase, black and white showcase, I'm sorry, but showcases aren't for me. Showcases are not. Black and white, when it was originally printed in color, like, don't get me wrong, I love black and white comics, I love turtles, I love black and white comics, but if it was originally printed in color, I can't take it, I can't, so we, so there is a showcase out there collecting volume one, but it's all black and white and i bring up the omnibus because my i would love an omnibus because my single issue is so faded and yellowed um and it's 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 been you know it's been bagged and boarded but it's just an older comic you know it's, it's almost 30 years old now and you know it gets the yellowing and uh it would be ripe for a for a uh, an omnibus it'd be great so Moving, moving on from there, we get introduced to Skeets. Um, and so the other thing that's kind of cool is you know that there's something different about this character throughout this whole story. This whole issue can be boiled down very simply to Booster Gold is a, is this, this you're introduced to Booster Gold, and then he just gets in a he's out of the town, you know, or not out of the town, but he's he's a, you know he he's working out at the gym. He gets in the car to go somewhere, and then he gets caught up in a in a street fight with um, first this team of individuals, and then by Blackguard. And that's the issue. Is the rest of the issue is having is bro- fighting it out, duking it out with Blackguard. And um, but throughout the issue, you just get these. Even though it's just a subtle hint, you don't actually learn who, you know, you don't get Booster's origin here. He's you're dropped right into the middle of, us. Um, he's already established in Metropolis. He has a base of operations. He has his publicist Dirk, and he has a building that he apparently owns, and he's got Gold Star Incorporated, and um. He has this business, and he's an established person, but you don't actually get the origin of where this individual comes from. And you get subtle hints for those of us who um, know that he's from the future, which basically, if you're a Booster Gold fan, you know that Booster Gold comes from the future. And you get subtle hints throughout the issue, and it isn't even revealed in that, you know, Jergens, um Withholds the final reveal for a little while. I think it's issue six or seven when it's finally revealed the Booster Gold backstory. But in this issue, you got all throughout. You know there's something off about Booster because he tries to use he tries to use the the hip and the current phrases, but he gets them wrong. Um, and then Skeets has to correct him. So you know that he's isn't, he isn't quite what he seems because he doesn't he doesn't something's off he isn't from this he he i mean i almost want to you know it's obvious now that he isn't from this time and so it's easy to say well he's not from this time that's what's off but that's in hindsight we know that but when you read this issue if you read it, you know where when it came out you wouldn't have known that but you did know that something was there's something about this individual he's from somewhere where he's getting these phrases wrong um, and he keeps trying to be cool and hip throughout, and so he tries to use these phrases, but he he gets them wrong. And then, and then there really is the biggest reveal is a little later on when Skeets and they're talking about um they're talking about Star Labs, and Skeets um was mentioning how. That they They still existed when we like they're talking about booster and skeets are talking about star labs and their skeets gets cut off, but he started you know he's starting to say that um well, if I read the actual panel, if I read the actual quote ah, yes, scientific and technological advanced research, their place in history was quite significant in fact, the company still existed when we and then skeets is cut off, so knowing what we know. That phrase right there is, makes it so obvious that they've traveled back in time, but at the time it wasn't known. It wasn't quite known. I mean, you probably could have surmised that, but it wasn't, it was still hidden a little bit. Um. Oh, and since I'm looking at that panel right there, that same panel where they're talking about Star Labs, it's a perfect time to mention because there's the WGBS building is in the shot. It's a perfect time to mention, um, I, I mentioned earlier about how these first few issues of Booster Gold straddle the line between pre-crisis and post-crisis, and it's funny because Jimmy Olsen is in this issue. Jimmy Olsen's in um, this issue of Booster Gold, and he's a reporter. He's a full-fledged reporter for WDBS News, and so it's clear that this is this issue technically takes place pre-crisis because post-crisis, Byrne put him back as he really he relegated him um olson back to being you know the daily planet photographer and um he isn't he' is not a WGBS reporter um so that that was just interesting I d- i i don't think i caught that the this is only the second or third time i read this issue and i don't think i caught it the first couple times that Jimmy was a reporter, and or, I mean, I caught it because you know you read it, but you don't put two and two together that hey, that means that this issue actually came out pre-crisis, you know. And it's not like there's a line in the sand pre. I mean, you know, people use that now. There was pre-crisis and post-crisis, and in in when it happened, so twelve months is pretty much a line in the sand. But there was still those twelve months where there was things being published. Through the twelve months that, throughout the twelve months that crisis was being published, so you had things that shadowed the line a little bit, where they such as Booster, where they started in one era and, in Booster's instance, they end they very quickly within a couple of issues were in a different era. They were pre-crisis and post-crisis. Um, so that's uh, pretty pretty interesting, I thought, and didn't catch even the first couple times. First couple times. Oh, the, the other thing I mentioned um, didn't mention, and I gotta get better. I recognize that I gotta get better of having a because it's gonna be the same same thing throughout the Booster Gold portions. Is I need to get a little bit better of format for going through and introducing who worked on the issue and and who did what. But um this issue's title was called "The Big Fall," um, and it was. Drawn and written by Dan Jurgens, and it was inked by Mike DiCarlo. color colored by Tom Zuko, lettered by Augustin Moss, and edited by Janice Race. So I probably butchered some of those names, got them got them wrong. Oh, and I'm definitely bouncing around here. I recognize that, but I want to mention too if they didn't if they didn't omnibus now and 26 issues is not too big for an omnibus not not at all so if they did if they did an omnibus now it would be on the nice glossy paper because the newspaper stock is the, the glossy paper for collections is much better than than newspaper stock which is what these original issues were printed on is newspaper stock so it would be really nice to get to get a um uh you know, an omnibus collection to get it, to, to get because the, the coloring would look so much better. Like, it would be a transformation for this comic to have an omnibus. Um, that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, so mo- moving on from there, you get introduced to, um, Dirk in this issue, who is clear that he's works works with. It's not clear whether he or not he works for or with Booster, but he's, he's essentially a Booster Gold publicist. And we meet Trixie, who is a secretary at Gold Star, um, and she becomes, both of them become um, the supporting cast, part of, part of Booster's supporting cast. And so that's another thing about this first issue that's really awesome is that you get a really good story, You get really good insight into this character. You learn a lot about Booster Gold just within a few pages, and you get a good supporting cast um, for Booster. And I feel like in today's world, you don't quite in today's comics landscape. First of all, this issue would have taken this the issue and this would have taken six issues to tell this exact same story. Um. And I don't think they probably would have fleshed out even. Well, that's a bit of a exa- bit, bit of an exaggeration to say that they wouldn't have fleshed out the supporting cast even as much as they do here. But they go out of their way, or Dan goes out of his way to really set up some, you know, to make you care right away about the supporting cast. Trixie has a whole little segment in this issue about um to, about animal rights. And you learn a great deal about her character and the type of woman that she is in this issue. And then you learn that she left Kansas and she came here. She never should have left. She regrets that. So we get, right away, you have a longing to know, well, tell me more about this character. Who is this Trixie? Why did she leave? Why did she come to Metropolis? Why does she think she shouldn't have left Kansas? And so, you really get a sense of, I want to know more about these supporting characters. Um, so that's, uh, that's, um, really, really cool. And then, another, th- the other thing is that you also get intrigue in terms of people are, not only do we not quite know Booster Gold's origin, but there is clearly these clandestine individuals who are, trying to get booster's identity and that's a uh, page is that we don't we don't know who they are but just that they're trying to get booster gold's fingerprints to get his identity so there's a mystery who are these people why are they so worried about getting booster gold's fingerprints why um they don't just as the just as us readers don't know exactly booster gold's origin clearly the general public doesn't know either. Oh, and, and the other thing that I didn't mention is that when I was talking about how B- 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 Booster Gold, we know that he's from some, a different place, he doesn't quite use the right phrases in the right ways, but he also knows information that he shouldn't know. He knows information that he it shouldn't be possible to know, and so we also get the question, well, how does he know that and it's not answered here. It's not answered for us, but those questions come up, and so that's 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 um just another another one of the insights we get to the to this character isn't quite what he's portraying himself to be. And you can tell that he has a inferiority complex as well, be um and he's struggling to get his brand identification out there he's a he isn't a hero for hire per se but he wants he wants the public to know where he's gonna be and he wants you know nowadays he would be he'd have he'd call the you know he is the classic call the paparazzi let him know I'm gonna be there right here from issue one um, and it's even set up that he's it's it's sort of set up, Dan sort of makes it seem as though Booster's supposed to be the hip new guy in town, new in to Metropolis, and Superman's the old, out with the old and with the new. There's a scene where Booster is saving a mother and her child, and the mother goes, Superman? And the kid, you know, paraphrasing, but he goes, No, Mom, that's Booster Gold. And just the implication there is... What are you? You should know who Booster Gold is. He's the newest, he's the greatest, he's the best. So, um, it's clear to me, it makes, you know, it's clear that Booster's branding is working. This child knows who he is and probably cares more about him than Superman. Um, and I'm not gonna, while I'm while I go through the Booster Gold comics each week, I'm not gonna really talk about the ads. I know other podcasts kinda make it, it's one of the it's one of their quirks. One of the things they do is is that um, they'll talk about the ads. I don't really care that much about about old advertisements, so I'll, I'll only talk about them if they or house ads. And I'll only talk about them if they really tickle my fancy or something. So something's interesting. So given that, I gotta mention there's an Aquaman an Aquaman advertisement here, um for a four part mini series. And I haven't read it, but all I gotta say is, what in the hell is going on with Aquaman's costume? I've never seen he's wearing like a blue teal outfit, and I've never seen that before. You know, maybe it's only part of this four issue miniseries, but it's like, what is going on with Aquaman? He looks way different than I've ever seen them before. So I've kind of skipped around a little bit, but getting back to the story, so um. Booster Gold was working out at the gym, he leaves the gym, and he's in a car and then he gets um entangled with this group that's trying to steal some some stuff and then he gets wrapped up in this fight with um Blackguard and you know it, it happens very quickly, we don't fully get what he's trying to do but we do, we do know that Blackguard was trying to um steal this item, this item from Star Lab. This satellite um, image in- in guidance system, and s- so the fight's o- the fight eventually is taken care of, and Booster Gold does a pretty good, pretty good trick to um, win that fight, in the way that he he tricks tricks Blackguard into basically basically electrocuting himself, and. Um. so then Booster has this image guidance system and we get a really excellent cliffhanger where the guidance system sort of blows up and or so it seems that it blows up and what we actually learn is that this woman has shown up and she's blasted Booster with some kind of light rays and so it's a, it's a, it's a pretty decent cliffhanger. Um and she's wants this image guy in system as well and the caption at the bottom is um next issue Booster's mysterious past the return of an old DC hero and flaky cereal commercial debut all this for only 75 cents in gold redemption see you there. And it's funny that they mentioned Flakeys. I didn't mention it earlier, but Flakeys is another endorsement that Booster is doing with um cereal. Oh, another thing I want to mention is that I I always really enjoy it when the the cover is somehow at least plays a role in the issue itself, which here it does. The cover with Blackguard taking or swinging at Booster with a light pole. um is directly in a panel within the um, Blackguard Booster Gold fight, so it's it's uh, always cool. I, I always hate it when a issue has a, when a comic has a cover that is 100% unrelated to what's happening in the comic. It doesn't have to be like it's from a direct panel, but when it's 100% misleading in terms of this isn't even close to anything that happens in the issue, that's always a little misleading and unfair i think um for trying to sell books but this issue doesn't do that so we'll see if that we'll see if that trend continues um so i I think that that pretty much wraps it up for booster gold volume one issue one i think that we're really looking forward to issue number two this issue set up a good cliffhanger and it was a i think from top to bottom it was a pretty good issue set up a it's set up booster gold incredibly well we get to know this character get to know his personality pretty well and still have some intrigue in terms of we don't know exactly know his origin we know he's not from here something's up with he isn't from this he isn't from something's he's from somewhere else whether it's just a different part of the world a different time something he so, so there's still um, there's still a little bit of mystery surrounding his origin, but we get enough to make us want to come back and keep reading to find out what's going on. We get Dirk, um, which I actually didn't talk that much about Dirk, and I'll talk I'll I'll talk more about him in future issues, of course, because he's very important throughout Booster Gold Volume One, and we get. Um, Trixie, so we get some really good supporting cast. We get the first mention of the the seeds for the idea for the Booster Mobile. <laughs> um, Dirk's setting up that deal to get about the Booster Mobile. You don't really know what it is yet. It's just talking about acquiring a car, but it eventually turns out to be the Booster Mobile. Um, so lots of great things are set up in this issue, and Looking forward to continuing with this, c- continuing on next episode with Booster Gold Volume Two or Volume One Issue Two, Gold Redemption, and on the Superman front, I will be covering the um, San Superman Saga, this um, which started with the Superman. 233 the famous kryptonite nevermore storyline so the sandman saga ran from in superman volume 1 issues 233 through 235 237 through 238 and 240 through 242 it and I'm really looking forward to it because I actually haven't read all of that I have read the first issue in that arc the one with the famous cover Superman breaking through the kryptonite chains, issue number 233. Um, but I haven't read most of the Sandman saga, so this is going to be really fun for me to read about the Sandman saga, to learn and see if it's all it's cracked up to be. Um, I'm expecting it to be a really fun and enjoyable storyline. Um, so we'll see. So ch- uh, Check us out next time, and and until then... We will i don't have a good tagline what am i trying i i I don't have a good tagline for this show yet i I need to come up with one um but we will see you next time.